0: everyone and welcome to the first of many We Need to Talk roundtables. Uh, Going into the second half of the year, if you've been listening to my podcast, I wanted to change up how I facilitated conversation and how I choose to invoke change and educate publicly. And one of those ways is by uplifting as many voices as possible. So in doing these roundtables and kind of virtual table talk discussions, um, I'm really hoping that it can grow and we're able to hear a lot of different perspectives about things that are happening today in this country. Um, So today... Joining me, I have writer, journalist, and activist Jill Roby.
1: Oh, hello.
0: I have singer, songwriter Amber Sawyer. Hi. Actor, writer, activist Pharrell Walker. Hello. Director, writer, producer Michael Schwartz. Hi, everyone. And no stranger to the We Need to Talk family, Mr. Drexel Hurd, who is the executive director of the Los Angeles Democratic Party. Hello, hello. I love how everybody's like multi-slash and then Drexel's like, I'm the executive director.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's all. I don't need, I don't need need a big You just need need one. one.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, So, uh, I've been trying to put into words in, you know, I'm friends with all of you on social media, but I've been trying to put into words just how I feel about everything that's happening in the country right now. And it really has been difficult. And I don't really feel like there's anything I could write or say that fully describes what I'm feeling. And, and I know a lot of people are feeling that way as well. And I feel like the events that have happened in the past week or so have kind of been a breaking point for a lot of people. And we know that, you know, this country is no stranger to racism or police brutality. We know it was built on oppression, but um, in the last few years, it does seem like there has been a quote-unquote increase in police brutality and racism. And I know that's simply because we all have phones with cameras now. Um, So before I get into, though, the Joy... the George Floyd murder, which is really the situation that's kind of rocking the country at the moment, I do want to talk about another situation that happened in the past week um, in New York in Central Park with a woman named Amy Cooper and a man named Christian Cooper. Are you all aware of the situation, I'm assuming? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, that, that situation really also made me sick to my stomach because with police brutality, I I hate to say that we've become desensitized to it because it has happened so much. But I think what struck me the most about this situation was you saw how someone actually leveraged the the race of another human being. So I'm I'm curious to hear how you guys reacted to that situation and anybody can take the floor right now.
3: I mean, it wasn't surprising to me. A lot of people are like shocked and appalled lately about these instances, but it's like, at least she was just honest about what she was doing in the moment. Like that's what they all do. That's mm-hmm. so, what you know. Any instance where you know a white person called the police on like you know a little girl selling water for people trying to go to a pool. I mean, it's all the same thing. But at least she was honest. Like nothing bad is actually happening to them, but they want something bad to happen to the black person. Right. So like, if you're if someone is shocked by this at this juncture, they have not been paying attention.
1: pro. For me, it was just kind of personal. Um, my brother lives right across the street on the corner of Central Park. And so like just today when I was speaking to him, I know he was taking my nieces and nephews out to play for a regular day. I know he's scared of dogs, even though I'm a dog mom. Um, and I know that he also always travels with what he calls toys in his pocket, just in case, because he he's fully aware that he might have to be prepared and protect himself at any given time. Um, that woman is no different from many women. I believe that it, it's not a, a random occurrence at all. I think that if I talk to any Black person, Indigenous person, or person of color on the street, I can find an instance that they've gone through where uh, their race was leveraged as you know, a tool against them. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I wasn't surprised. I, I think my issue always is that the hurt never ends for me. I'm not numb yet. And in one way, I am proud that I'm not numb yet, but in another way, I wish it would come just so I can just continue the fight. Mm. But I don't know, maybe my me not being numb is the reason why I'm able to continue the fight, so. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Michael, you live in New York. I'm curious what the response to that situation was like up there. Yeah,
4: I mean, it, it was certainly uh, the biggest, topic of conversation at the beginning of the week, there was think pieces you know the story evolves obviously with um <clears throat> finding out that she's fired from her job, finding out that the dog is being taken away from her, right The narrative was strung out um, part of the interesting part of the, uh, the interesting part of the conversation for me was people saying she knew exactly what she was doing, and I think what's interesting about that is, I think, in a lot of these instances, people don't know what they're doing. Mm. It's so, the racism is so deep, it's so ingrained, that they don't even know that they're doing it. And that's a problem that needs to be addressed, is the lack of awareness. You know, a lot of people this week are saying, it's not enough to not be racist, you have to be anti-racist. And I think that that is a really valuable part of the conversation, you know, Then things came out that she has a history and that she's potentially mentally ill. And then that sort of opens a whole other box because um, it's too easy to demonize mental illness. Melinda, you know a lot of my advocacy is Mm -hmm. also in mental health along with um, the issues that we're talking about here. So um, uh, I think it's too easy an outlet to demonize mental illness. and and I think it's important to separate racism and how it's ingrained in people and in our country, uh, and that is its own conversation.
5: Mm-hmm. I'd Amber? like to that yeah. if okay. Um, just specifically what you were saying in regards to, and I'll call it out for what it what I believe it to be that deeply rooted privilege that's so far down that. That there are potentials for white people specifically white women to be unaware of how they're coming across. However, um, and this I can only speak for myself I cannot speak for all white people white women. Um, I'm at a point where I can no longer accept or condone that as an excuse. to imply a lack of awareness at this point with with the state of current affairs that's going on in the world and everything that's happening, all the resources, the literature, the things that are out there, the activists, the the civil rights organizations, um, the things that people are trying to put in people's faces, to me, lack of awareness is just no longer a valid excuse. A reason for for this kind of thing to happen and for us to somehow, you know, sweep it under the rug and allow the Amy Coopers of the world to somehow, you know, move on and be forgiven as if they didn't understand what they were doing was wrong. Um, And then she came with an apology, which on one hand, you can look at that like, okay, I appreciate the fact that you will acknowledge at this point, but I I question the genuineness of that. And and that brings me back to that deeply rooted privilege um, and and the lack of awareness that we use too often as a crutch for not having enough information to have basic human capacities about us. Uh, To me, there are some things that you don't need a, a, a research book to discover. There's some qualities and and basic commonalities that we share as human beings that you don't need someone to tell you or someone to teach you um things instinctually that we're born with when you look at at videos and pictures of children that are not the same color you don't see this division um and this sort of like privilege air between them i, I just posted a video of that this morning and i'm sure we've all seen the the cute little video of the the little uh, white boy and the little black boy running towards each other and embracing at some point, and to me that is such a imperative visual because it, that privileged thing that it's taught, mm-hmm. you know, this 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 hatred is taught. This idea that that one skin color is somehow superior to another is is an agenda that is taught, um, and so I don't know. I'm just at a place where. I I am, I am at my wit's end and I'm not black. I'm not African-American. So I can only imagine how it feels to wake up African-American every day in this world. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm disgusted. And I was disgusted watching that video of Amy Cooper. Was I surprised? No, uh, much like what Jill said, I, I was not surprised at all, but disgusted, yeah. Disappointed, yeah, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's past time. And I, I was disappointed her apology too. Like I said, I, it's past time for, for these excuses to be relevant anymore. There's too much information out there. There's too much in your face out there, you know, to, to, to use that.
0: Right. I think what continues to surprise me with situations like this, you know, we always have the funny hashtag, the hashtags, you know, barbecue Becky, or like whenever we're calling people Karen, but it's, it's, it's in the age of the cell phone. It's like, you know that you're being filmed You know you're gonna go on social media. You know this is gonna go viral. Why are you, like, it's a small hill to die on, really, for these people that continue to make these kind of choices to honestly just actively want to be, to, he, she was putting his life in danger pretty much is is how I viewed it. Like, you're calling the cops specifically saying an African-American man is threatening my life. He's filming you. You know that it's going on Facebook. Why are you making that choice? But it goes to what you said, Michael. It's like, she probably didn't even know that she was doing that, you know? Oh,
5: I, I'm sorry, I, I believe she knew. I believe she knew exactly what she was doing. I mm. believe her tone, when you watch the video, when she says, well, I'm gonna tell them that an African-American man is threatening my life. She knew exactly what that statement meant. She knew exactly that the cops were gonna come and defend and protect and serve her and and not serve and protect right. the black man, who by right. the way, is a Harvard graduate. And, right,
0: and he was birdwatching, like, 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 like how threatening <laughs> could he possibly be?
5: <laughs> it's just the idea. You know? that, the idea that we even, and I was talking about this again this morning, that, that we celebrate the fact that he's a Harvard graduate, mm-hmm. we should absolutely do that. But the fact that that is somehow worthy of a celebration is even privileged, deeply rooted in itself. Mm-hmm. Well, what makes him any different to be anyone else that can right. graduate from Harvard? So yeah, it to me, it's all, she knew exactly what she was doing.
0: Right, right, right. It, it's... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah.
5: There's
3: this, um, you know, this narrative of like, oh, it's mental illness, or oh, they don't know what they're doing. Like, this Always, only yeah. specifically applies to white people. And believe me, <laughs> she absolutely knew what she was doing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. People brought up the fact like, oh, oh, she's a Democrat. She donated to Obama. Doesn't mean uh, anything. <laughs> no, Trump, Trump was a Democrat. Yeah. That that, that's where <laughs> right. all the cool celebrities are. It's with the Democrats. So like, oh, it's like it's some sort of big deal. Um, but no, they, even in her apology statement, which. Was going to be rejected, as far as I was concerned. Anyway, she was double speaking, like, "Oh, what? Well, like, I thought he was going to poison the dog, or I thought this." Like, no, you didn't. I, I don't know if you can use profane language now, so I'm like trying to mentally censor myself on when I want to call her. But no, you didn't think those things. Like, the the threat was clear before she made that call.
0: Right. The and threat when I say, was absolutely yeah, clear. and I, it's not. That, I know she knows what she was doing in that sense, but when I say that, I mean that like she didn't. I don't even know she realized that it was in her. You know what I mean? And I think that's the point that Michael was making, is that they don't even know it's in in that situation. And then you're like, oh, they're racist, you know?
5: That's the itself, is exactly,
0: it Exactly, exactly, 100%. Um, Drexel, so for you, I'm curious, ju- your thoughts, how would you connect the Amy Cooper situation into situations with what happened with George Floyd?
2: Um... You know, I think that the one of the biggest things that we talked about at the beginning was exactly um, the reality, which is everything is being filmed right now. Right. And um, I, I think for a lot of people, what we saw in Amy Cooper, uh, the Chris Cooper situation was the tick that turned Amy Cooper and the tick that turned. i mean sorry. And then the. Literally watching a death of somebody on camera, which it ended up being George Floyd. I, I think w- what's been happening is that we've seen a lot of videos, we've seen a lot of camera shots of, of you know of, of, of a situation, but never witnessing it from a first-person viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what happened with with Amy Cooper, it was in person, first person um, a situation where we saw somebody turn in the moment, um, and, you know, to everybody's point, yes, I'm sorry, there's sirens behind me, uh, because, you know, LA's, everything's going on in LA right now, (laughs) um, but, um, but, um, and I live in the valley, y'all. So this is, I'm not even in the middle of no, I'm not even, I'm like, what is happening? You're down um, the street from me. You're you, down know, the street right, for me. you know, right. You know, you'll probably hear it in a second. But, yeah. the, um, but, but for me, like, you know, with, with everybody saying, yeah, she knew exactly what she was doing, you could see the intent in the moment. And I don't know that a lot of people have seen first person intent in a while. Hmm. Um, I think on the other side of, on the George Floyd side, we saw the intent of the cop in knew, knowing exactly what he was doing in that moment. And then we saw a person take their last breath in the moment of what was happening. So if there's any correlation between the two of how mad people are right now, it is because we're witnessing things that and 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 being and and everything is going to the forefront of what we're seeing in the moment mm-hmm. as opposed to hey did is this off of somebody's body cam is mm-hmm. this you know what are the multiple what are the multiple angles that we're all witnessing right now this is literally like it's right in your face mm-hmm. Real this, you can't miss that right, piece right. of it right. and i think that that is what is different you know you and i talked about offline Um, you know why this time is different than other times yeah Um, and I think part of that is because we're witnessing you know I don't think I I don't think if you ever tell a white person oh this doesn't happen it's because they don't ever see the tick and the turn that happens in real time right now we're able to see that turn in real time and look you know I think that it's, 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 it's certainly, you know, we'll talk about the political ramifications of everything a little bit later. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, you know, somebody brought up Amy Cooper being a, a Democrat. Look, just because you're a liberal doesn't make you not a racist. And, Amen. And, and you saw those people who made the shift from voting for Barack Obama to the shift uh, of voting for Donald Trump. Uh, and it was mostly out of um, those folks that voted for Barack Obama. Sure, they believed in Barack Obama. Um, but Barack Obama was also the cool thing at the time. And 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 when you're not the cool thing, Hillary Clinton was not the cool thing at the time. Uh, it's easier for you to 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 go back to what you believe to be the next cool thing, and that's where a lot of uh, of, of white voters uh, uh, tend to be because they don't they don't have to deal with the uh, a majority of the ramifications of a politician, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, as opposed to minority communities across the country. Uh, the, you know they're going to get theirs at the end of the day, and it doesn't. And whoever they vote for it doesn't really affect their daily lives as as much as it does uh, minority um, uh, uh, voters and, and residents in the country. So.
0: Yeah, I think for me with the George Floyd situation, why it was kind of a breaking point is, and I don't want to say, and I we talked about this again, Drexel, the other day. I don't want to say that I I was becoming desensitized to um, black men being shot, but it is something different when you see the oxygen slowly leaves somebody's body as opposed to not really, You don't. we don't ever really actually see a lot of the videos where they are shot or they're hard to make out, but that, that was just the common narrative. A black man was shot, a black man was shot, a black man was shot, unarmed black man. But this is somebody that is literally putting their knee on their neck And having no remorse for human life whatsoever. Like the case can be made that these cops that shoot black men are, they're fearing for their life. They acted quickly in the moment or whatever, but he's actively doing this. And for nine minutes he did it. And I think that that's what was so disgusting to me to see is, and and he had no remorse on his face. That was also the, the chilling aspect of this video is that his hand is in his pocket while he's doing it you know um so i I don't know if you guys feel that way but that's just that's why this was kind of a breaking point for me it was like you actually saw the lack of humanity in another person
2: and i and i was i was just gonna say the other part of the that the george floyd video that made it even worse not that you could get worse was the fact that he had three other deputies in 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 his vicinity that didn't do their job uh to help that situation now it's one thing for a reporter to be filming and not wanna get into a situation. We see that all the time. Uh, or, or the person behind the camera who was filming uh, the, 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 the situation that was happening on the ground, not to want to jump into that situation. Mm-hmm. But to have the people around, um, I don't even know the guy's name. I try not to remember some of these people's, some of these like, these cops' names. Their names uh, aren't the important yeah. ones. Yeah, <laughs> so um, what I'm saying is like, you know, you got this guy, Whose friends or whose deputies around him just did nothing, and I think that's the other—that's the—that's the other upsetting part about a story like that, where you've got people who are sworn to protect and serve. You know, we just saw—I don't know if you guys saw the video. Um, I can't remember what state it was because I just saw it, uh, but there was a similar incident where a cop was literally just pulling somebody off pulling another cop off of somebody else and that mm-hmm. just happened within the within, within the protests of what's happening in the last couple of days mm-hmm. so you know so if you can do that we you can do uh if, if one person can do that then everybody should be able to do that and and right. that's what we didn't see in that video either
0: Right. So all across the country, we're, there are plenty of protests and riots happening. And Pharrell, I would love to hear your first hand account of what you experienced, because you were you were on the front lines yesterday. And Amber, you were there as well um, with the protests. So I'd love to hear from you guys uh, how the protests in LA are going and what your experience was like. Pharrell, go ahead
1: and start. Um, my experience was, We got there and it was like most protests that I've been to. It was peaceful. It was a good thousand people probably it seemed like on the streets. Um, Everyone we started at Fairfax and Beverly and decided we were gonna be heading towards Beverly Hills. Um, I was very happy already and appreciated the fact that we were not doing just downtown or an area where there is a huge predominantly black or people of color neighborhood because oftentimes the people who need to be faced with this the most are living in the other neighborhoods. So walking the streets and seeing Hasidic Jews and, you know, it was just, it was very different from any other protest that I've been to in recent years, um, forever. When we made our way back from Beverly Hills, and it's interesting because the crew of the Black Lives Matter that I was with that day, they had everyone kneel in front of the police station down in Beverly, in Beverly Hills. And Finally, we ended up getting up and making our way back, the long trek back. Most people had parked over there. No one joined all the way from where we were. So everyone needed to go back that way regardless. And we were met with a police wall. Um, And uh, we knew that it would be trouble once we saw the police wall. So there were, of course, some people at the front, you know, saying, can we get through? Why can't we get through? We're peacefully protesting. I don't know what was said because I was too far back. However, I realized that we needed to go around. So everyone started going around another street. And that's when we ended up at the Whole Foods off of like Gardner and uh, Melrose. And at that point, things got really ugly. Now, I will say that, and I've been very careful with this narrative because I don't like, I don't like the attention going away from the protesters into whoever is looting or tagging a building because these things are just really not important to me right now. Um, but there were people, I remember out there a couple of people actually who were tagging things and you had so many people yelling at them, telling them to stop. There were moments where I saw people chased off. There was a moment where a gun was pulled on someone as a guy ran off after breaking a window. And, um, so people were out there like, no, we're not here for that. I understand that might be your way of expressing your frustration right now, but please don't do it because it detracts and it's gonna bring us more trouble. However, when we got to the Whole Foods, we started hearing a lot of fireworks. I had already been a witness to some cars that had been parked uh, by the police as barricades, I guess, and they ended up being burned. Um, But there was nothing that was nothing that earned the result that we ended up getting quite quickly and swiftly as soon as we did reach that area all of a sudden that barricade uh I was standing next to uh, probably a 70 year old man at one point in time and he was like baby girl we got to get out of here because they're blocking us in I have to get out of here and he disappeared I hear an explosion because I guess they're trying to get into the time um We ended up having to. uh, I was too far away from the Whole Foods. Whole Foods is all the way in the back of a parking lot. There's a whole parking lot. You've seen a Whole Foods parking lot. It's not small. Whole parking lot in between that. And then you have on the street, us having this wall. Um, That wall just became so angry. And Mm. you had all of us taking a knee at one time. And then it became apparent we can't take a knee because it's not safe. Um, Out of nowhere, An explosion went off, a woman comes running up, they're asking, does anyone have a first aid kit? She has blood coming all down her legs. We did happen to have a first aid kit, so we're bandaging her up, and at the same time, we're being approached by these cops, all in full riot gear, charging us with their billy clubs, telling us to back up, back up. We get her up, we back up, um, and they stop. And so we're like, okay, I guess we're good here. So. Protest continues for about another two, three minutes before they back up, back up. We start to notice this is going to be the rhythm of things. And at that point, I was like, I think we got to get out of here. It's not making sense. Things just aren't making sense. And from there, all you saw was bullets flying because the National Guard came up with automatic rifles and a tank. And from there, we had bullets flying in every direction. They were firing blindly into the crowd. It did not matter. I saw so many kids who had gotten separated from their groups, kids crying, um, adults crying, people trying to snatch their kids that were there. And I managed to make my way to a side street. um, And I was like, I think we could take this street all the way up and find our ride that way. Like, we'll just walk up and we'll make our way back around to La Brea. Um, Unfortunately, at that point in time, the police wall got an order that they could just go. And out of nowhere I see cops just running. And so we're trying to get up this street and I am thrown on top of a moving vehicle with uh, my fiance. Um, he puts his arm out in front of me to cover me. And at the same time, they're dragging him back. And I'm like, no, I'm holding on to his backpack. Like I'm not going to be separated from him regardless. And I swung. Um, I matched with a, uh, my, my fist ended up hitting a officer's chest. And at that point in time, they're yelling at us, get the fuck up, get the fuck up, get out of here, get out of here. And I'm like, we can't even leave. Like, what do you want us to do? And they push us back onto the cars. And at that point they start firing bullets at us, the rubber bullets. Um, luckily Devin had his arms over me still because instead of me nursing his wounds it probably would have been in like my soft stomach and i haven't done a workout in i don't know how long so it definitely would have been internal bleeding or something or other and um at that point in time there was one lone black cop that appeared out of nowhere and he jumped in between and he was like please he looked me in my eyes and he was like please just get out of here go and i was like we're already on our way um And that was when we managed to make it back up the street because he turned around back to them and kind of, I guess, gave their attention to someone else. That same lone black cop I saw hitting someone with a billy stick as I'm running up the street though. So the narrative of like, there's good ones and there's bad ones really left me yesterday because I said, if you have any authority over you that makes you go against your humanity, then you lose that title of being a good cop. Yeah, you might still do good deeds, you know, you might shoot hoops with the kids in the neighborhood. You might make sure that I get into my car. If I'm stuck on the freeway, you know, wait until AAA A comes with me. But you are not a good cop in the essence of you will turn on a minute on an innocent crowd and do what you did. So
0: Amber, what was your experience like?
5: Um First off, I mean, I I would be remiss. I already said this to you off the podcast, but even just after hearing more detail, like I'm just, I'm sorry that you had to go through Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I'm glad that you were able to make it out. And I assume that your fiance also made it out. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, Well, the top of your story was similar to mine. Um, I arrived at the protest and it was very much peaceful. I was, um, I'll be very transparent. It was my first actual protest. Um, I've always been an advocate, but this is um, my turning point as of recently, like you, Melinda, has has caused me to take um, some bigger action steps. So this was my first actual showing up to a protest and I'll be very transparent. I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect, um, but I, I was also fired up. So I was very anxious to show my face and be there and and first for support and then second for education and to be an observer um, so that when I speak on things, I'm speaking from an educated place. Um, That being said, I was really impressed initially. Um, Like I said, without knowing what to expect, it was was very empowering. It was very, um, when we were still in the park before everyone started to move, um, I, it was so many people there and signs and just, you just, the energy and the air that you felt was like, we are tired of this. And, and that you felt this desire for, for change. You felt this desire for something better. Um, and so it was incredibly inspiring initially. Um, we started to march, you know, and I was here for it. I was like, you know, yes, like this is, I was, I felt. Um, like I said, empowered. I, I I did not like the reasons that we had to be there, obviously, but um, it just it felt very community oriented. It felt like a togetherness. There wasn't this division between people. Um, I was also really surprised at the amount of people that looked like me that were out there. I I like I said, without knowing what to expect, I I think somewhere in my head I half expected to be a part of a minority out there, but there was actually quite a lot of people that looked like me and it impressed me initially. <laughs> Moving forward to when we got into the streets, um, we ended up, forgive me, I was not paying attention to the corners that we were on. Um, so wherever we ended up at this one point, the, the collective sort of stopped and there was uh, There was some speeches given, Um, there was a 16 year old girl who spoke who I found to be incredibly eloquent. I don't remember her name, but she was, she spoke from such an emotional uh, place, but she said it just, just the way that she said it, she articulated it very well. And I thought it was well beyond her years Um, and it didn't even matter. It had nothing to do with the fact that she was black. It had everything to do with her ability to, to speak from such a mature place. Uh, but anyway, I continued to just feel at that moment, like, you know, maybe, maybe these things will have some sort of effect. Maybe people will listen, maybe they will. And there was helicopters. At that point, I didn't see any police presence in the streets. Um, at some point, the energy started to shift. And it seemed people were angry, obviously, you know, and and that's okay. Um, It started to shift, for lack of better words. I I started noticing the police presence coming in um, on the streets, started to form sort of lines and barricades around different areas of the crowds. Crowds were kind of splitting off. Some were going down a side street and in and around areas. Some were going on the other side. When, when one line barricade came, people were finding ways around that to go to the other side of that one. And then a lot of people were staying where we were. The energy started to become hostile, I felt. Um, I started noticing as we lined up um, directly across from the officers, you know, there was a lot of like white people to the front. So of course I'm rushing to the front because I'm like, that's me. I get up there, I'm face to face with the officers and there's a lot of hostility coming from the white people that were around me. And I'm all here for being angry for your fellow human being, you know and and it should be coming from us at this point. It is no longer, it's never really been a black issue. Um, so I'm, I'm all here for us taking up for that. But where I felt really disappointed, um, and people who look like me was, was to your point, uh, Pharrell, I started seeing a lot of tagging and I started seeing a lot of instigating from the white people in the front. Um, now we've all seen that picture of the, the white people that created the line in, I guess it was Minneapolis, um. And that looked to me like a solid stand of people just you know coming together and just holding their ground this felt very antagonistic um this felt very instigating um once again it's hard to gauge that you know is it okay for people to be angry and isn't it okay i'm angry um and i can get very passionate (laughs) and i can get in people's face with the best of them but I didn't feel that what was happening or what I noticed was productive. I, quite the opposite, actually. I felt it was counterproductive to the point that Black Lives Matter was was attempting to make. Um, so, to that regard, you know, there was a lot of. I think I feel like there's there was a lot of um, conflict of interest even among that group of people. Um, to the point where some people were like, hey, you know, don't do that. And, and like you were saying for else, people started getting called out for doing that. Like, hey, that's not why we're here. You know, that's not helping the cause. Um, ultimately, I think the saddest part for me about that part of my experience was when I was home later and was looking up online news sources, the narrative that I was hearing was that, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement had turned unpeaceful, and that black people were looting, and that black people were uh, defaming buildings, and and burning police cars, and um, breaking windows, and and you know causing disturbances, and and instigating, and all this stuff that I witnessed with my own eyes. People who look like me, not black people, and so I was I was infuriated infuriated when I got home and I saw that because it's disgusting to me that the same media that Controls the narrative, continues to project a narrative that's not accurate for a cause that these people from Black Lives Matter and Black people in general never asked to be put in to begin with. So, like my experience with the protest, sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, but that's why it's important for you to say your firsthand account so that people can completely, yeah, absolutely. And it
5: should come from me, and it did. Mm -hmm. I made a video, I put it out, and I uh, will continue to do. All of those things, because at, at this point, it, it needs to come from people. And that's why I went, to be honest, I needed to see it with my own eyes. I needed to to be able to say, no, I'm speaking from an educated place. This is not from a biased place. This is not because I've dated a black man. This is not because I have black friends. This is not because I'm immersed in a culture and an industry that I respect and love. This is because I saw it with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I was I was empowered at some point and also disgusted.
0: Well, Pharrell and Amber, thank you guys for being there. I would be there if I didn't have a little one,
1: absolutely. (laughs) If I had Um, a little one, I would not be there.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, Drexel, uh, for you, I'm curious, how much change do you think that protests do end up bringing about politically?
2: Uh, Well, obviously, I think they bring a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pressure campaigns play a huge role in, in politics. Um, I don't think that you know. You know, I, I think that MLK. You know, the march on Washington was a protest in itself. I mean, that 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 any any civil rights uh, action, you know, was was a form of protest, and, and then subsequently a uh, a pressure campaign. Um, same thing uh, with the Stonewall riots uh, in, in in New York City. Those things uh, were pressure campaigns, and mm-hmm. and we're still. Dealing with those um, uh, uh, today, so I think that protests, when when I don't I don't want to say when done correctly, uh, but essentially when done right and when used correctly, um, uh, have a an opportunity. I think people. I think protests, and I say this, and you and I've had this conversation about Black Lives Matter before. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there are. I think that one of the, one of the um, hard things about people rallying around Black Lives Matter is that there's not one central leader calling the shots. Mm. And it's hard for people to listen to a bunch of people talking as opposed to having one leader say, this is the shot that we have. We need to move forward and we need to do that. And, uh, and so sometimes, uh, because sometimes messages can get convoluted and so um
0: well, we already see that with the riots people exactly, showing up exactly. and vandalizing so, and then tagging it to right and, black then, lives and then and
2: then you got black lives matter la putting out statements like no we were out by 2 p.m right you know you know so so i i think i think that's that's part of the because then you know i said earlier i was like well then who was everybody else from from 2 p.m to, to 10 p.m you know, i can right. tell you what black people were not out there <laughs> at, at, at 10 p.m okay <laughs> That's just not what people were doing, right? So if, if anybody was, you know, looters and stuff like that that's happening out there, listen, uh, uh, I say this, I say the same thing about, uh, about what's happening with our immigration uh, conversation, right? Which is the reason you don't see a lot of, 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 of quote-unquote crime from the Latino community is because they're just not interested in that. You know, Black folks aren't out there looting because, first of all, why do we want to put ourselves in that situation? <laughs> and B, we're certainly not going to attack our, our own Black-owned businesses. Like That's just not something that, that the Black community is interested in doing. And so then it's like, who else is it then? Well, there's only one, there's only a handful of people that it could be. Um, but I, I think when it comes to putting the pressure on uh, elected officials, um, there, there, there are protests matter. And I think, you know, uh certain types of politicians certainly hear that. Um some people use it to their advantage, unfortunately. Um, but I'd rather them use it to their advantage and get things done than not at all. Mm-hmm. And so um yeah. So I think that's kind of where where protests uh have historically been been um well positioned mm-hmm. to make some change.
0: And successful, yeah. Um Jill, you post a lot on social media kind of about the elections coming up in November and people's views on Trump versus Biden. And I'm curious how you think this specific situation is going to play into the elections in November.
3: You know, I think it might play better for um, perhaps white liberals and progressives. I mean, you know what? I really don't know. Um, I, I don't understand the comparison, there is no comparison between Joe Biden and Trump, they just not. Other than that they're both two white guys of a certain age, it stops there, in all honesty. Um, here you have a, and I don't even like to call him this, here you have a guy in a White House who likes to uplift white nationalism, white supremacy, uh, Nazism, whatever. Um, and under his presidency, we've seen an escalation in hate crimes. We've seen an escalation in hate groups. We've seen an escalation in, you know, people feeling more comfortable with their racism. So to sit there and say that, you know, Joe Biden is exactly the same, just, you know, in a blue hat, right? Joe Biden is not promoting uh, violence against minorities. He's not promoting violence against black people. He's actually doing the opposite. To anyone who's actually been paying attention and that's part of the problem is that people are like you know they're not paying attention they're not doing their research like really all you gotta do is look at twitter or facebook and you can see his posts you can see his videos uh, where he's condemning these things and what was important to me is that back with not that that was this long ago but with ahmaud Aubrey, he called it a murder He didn't use, you know, legal jargon. Like, well, technically, like he was killed, like we can't say it's a murder till there's a conviction, blah, 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 all that BS. He called it a murder, he called it for what it was. And to me, that is important for, you know, the leader of the country to call things for what they are and not to say very fine people, not to say, you know, well, we didn't see the full tape, which is what Trump said. Oh, it looked bad, but we didn't, you know, I don't know if it was edited, you know, that kind of, double speak and dog whistle language you know which is what he does all the time and for people to be blind to the fact that this is this is pushing the narrative against of, of anti-blackness
2: mm-hmm.
3: it's pushing the narrative of anti-blackness blatantly so and for people to not understand that and they're black people too for people to not understand progressives black people white liberals get your shit together Pardon my French, but get it together because this is also very important. Like we are devolving, we are devolving in real time, and another four years of this man—I'm just dangerous.
0: Saying, it could be it's dangerous. Very, yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's and and, and it's—it's just—it's insane to me that people don't understand it, that they don't see it. Well, well, the you know the DNC or the Democrats aren't going to change. Listen. Trump doesn't take accountability for anything and he's a hateful person. Joe Biden is not a hateful person, that's it.
0: That's it. The buck stops there. <laughs> Michael, I'm curious, I'm curious your thoughts.
4: About the political aftermath? Yeah, about the political
0: aftermath of this,
4: yeah. You gotta vote, you gotta vote. That's what this comes down to for me is you don't like what your elected officials are doing, what they're standing for, show them the door. That, and that's why voter suppression right now is such an issue that we need to be talking about, which Trump is wielding every single day, um, because he knows if everyone voted, he knows he'd be out of here. And so we have to mobilize, we have to make sure that people can vote remotely from home, that we're going into uh, towns and neighborhoods where people either for lack of a car or transportation, or they're not mobile, um, that we ensure everybody in this country uh, has the God given right to, to
0: vote in this election. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jexel, what, what do you say to people that feel like their vote doesn't matter regardless? And, and that's why they don't vote for president. They don't think that their voice is heard, their needs are heard. You know, you, you hear a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of uh, Black people, our own community, specifically when Obama was elected, like, oh, he didn't do enough for Black people. Or, you know, Trump isn't doing anything for Black people, obviously. Joe Biden's not going to do anything for Black people. Like, what do you say to people that just think that voting doesn't matter?
2: Um, I think that's hard, because everybody... Um, everybody... Like we have, like at this point, there's a moral reason why people need to vote right now. You know, it's not even like, hey, I don't like- It's not like even democratic. Body. It's Republican not even thing. like, yeah, it's like, there is a, there is a, a clear black and white uh, situation happening right now. And what- Literally. If you don't, uh, literally, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. A black and white situation happening right now. Um, it, it, and, and if you don't get out there and vote, you're gonna affect everybody down the line what I always try to, you know, my job as, as the ED, you know, we're the largest county party in the country. We, we represent 2.9 million Democrats in Los Angeles. And that's a lot. Um, and, and what you have to remember is that what happens locally, the, the, the public safety alerts, the, 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 the county uh, supervisors, uh, that local elections matter the most. Uh, and then what happens is is that the money that gets funneled from the federal government into the states and then on down the line also matters. So if you want your you want change in your area, in your in your local officials, and I'm only speaking specifically for LA County, is that the power structure in LA County starts at the supervisor level. That's not the same as it is in other in other in other cities. Um, so the supervisors have over they supervisors represent here in LA County more people than congressional leaders and they have a lot of power because they have the power of the purse and then on down you got city council on down because we're contract we're we're kind of a contract city here in la uh uh, municipalities and so what i think that people have to remember is that vote you're not just voting for a president you're voting for the elected leaders or that 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 have to make up and make decisions day-to-day decisions not just about potholes on the street it's about whether or not that elected official is going to divest from private prisons, what where their vote ends up going at the end of the day, um, you know what they're going to do on housing, you know whether or not there's going to be affordable housing, how we're going to tackle homelessness, how we're going to tackle uh, um, uh, youth development, uh, and so th- those and police are, brutality and, and, and police and police brutality here in LA here in LA city right now, it, it, I'm sure people have seen um, you know. Uh, the city council budget, the mayor's budget, has an increase in funds for LAPD for no reason. It's divesting in certain areas that need more funds and increasing the budget for LAPD. And you're like, why? There's no <laughs> real need. The LAP doesn't need any more money than At it all. already has. Yeah. Um, and so those are the decisions that have to be made. And you've heard me talk about it all the time, which is um, you can't vote for something. The problem the problem with America is that we we, we vote and we vote blindly and in a lot of cases. And I always ask people, especially when I'm in rooms with people, is the first question I ask is, do you know who your representative is? If you can't answer that question, and you've heard me ask that question before too, Melinda. Mm -hmm. Like, if you can't answer that question, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But that just means you're not paying attention. That means you you yourself are privileged enough not to know who's representing you. And I'm not even talking about white people. I'm talking about black people. Everybody. Everybody. If you can't have any if you don't have a clue, maybe who to your city council person is, or at least your congressional leader, that's a, that's a huge issue. Uh, and, and I think that if you, know, if, you, if you knew about that, who that person was, I promise you, you would look into them more than you would if you didn't know. Because ignorance is not always bliss. The other part of that is mm-hmm. you gotta get people to run. If you're out there saying, I wanna do more, And you're, there's no such thing as being qualified to run for office. You know, you got, you got so many different types of people running for office now as you just, you just do it. Mm -hmm. Literally, if you're the only person on the ballot, you win in some cases and, uh, or you're not going to have somebody uh, running against you. And and then you get involved in your Democrat, your local democratic clubs, you get involved uh, with what your local party is doing or the state party or whatever. And you and you and you just get involved, like you know, and you saw me post the other day, I said, Look, the time for this idea of I don't talk politics because right. I don't want to get it in my friends and like whatever that means to people. I'm like, I don't understand what that means.
0: Right. Well also talk- this isn't political to me, this situation. Right. Black but Muslim that matters, but, not but
2: this population. is this is in the realm of political to people. I don't want to talk issues. And that's why I say, you don't, you're not like, like what I do is politics. Politics is a science. Politics is a chess playing. Politics is moving stuff around and then getting the intended outcome for democracy, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's my, that's part of my job, you know, in in addition to promoting the platform of the Democratic Party. The other side of that is issue talking, is having a conversation with six people in a room and saying, I believe in, I, I believe in a woman's right to choose. I believe uh that um you know that we uh don't need to be sending folks that we need rehabilitation centers i believe that uh you know that the homeless people uh we should be investing in in how to get people off the street so like those are the things that you can talk cuz you believe in something you, everybody has an opinion people mm-hmm. have opinions all day cuz i see people post about it on facebook and twitter
1: all day mm-hmm. all day
2: and i'm like <laughs> the same pe- and i'm like if you put as you know i was i almost just posted i said if you if people put the same amount of energy in what was happening in around this country as they did when the Tonys announced that they weren't going to be uh, putting the Tony Awards up and that Greece was going to replace it on CBS, wow, wow, <laughs> I, I mean we might get some shit done in this country. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I mean, look, I don't want to see Greece as much as the next person. I've seen it planning. <laughs> but what I do want to see is those same people putting that same energy right into, into fighting the fa- you know into fighting the fact that Jada Essence Hall won RuPaul's Drag Race the other day than I would in what's happening in November yeah yeah
1: apathy is a big thing right now it, it's it's really plagued the nation in so many ways and I, my mother owns a large petition company that basically has gotten numerous things on the ballot across the nation. So I run a lot of voter campaigns. Um, we got felons their right to vote in Florida. We, we are behind every state that has legal marijuana basically, except for the ones that chose to do it within their own legislation. Um, so I'm used to getting these conversations and I hear it time and time and time again, the, my vote doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I I always have the same words as you do, except for when they tell me things like, well, if it matters, then why have we lost three elections to the Electoral College? You know, and in moments like that, I, I don't know, don't I have, don't have an answer for them.
0: Exactly. Because exactly.
1: and that's the only that's the only time, but I, I feel for them. I really do. And it, it never discourages me from telling them, well, forget the presidency, like you said. Who's your councilwoman? What's going on in your your little community? Because that matters probably and it impacts you also more often mm-hmm. than what the president does. Sure. Not this president, because right. he's going to be getting, you know, Supreme Court justices and, and stuff. But
2: and, yeah, and I would say to 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 help uh, to help that answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would always say, hey, look, there are states across the country that are moving uh, legislators, or, or I'm sorry, state, leg- state legislative houses that are moving towards. Um, making the uh, electoral votes of their state uh, correspond with the popular vote of their state.
1: Yes, there are states there that are. are
2: doing that. So if, you, so if you can realize how important state senators and state assembly members are to getting to the question of what about the electoral college, you've got states that are already moving towards that, um, towards rectifying that problem. But it yeah. has to start within the state and if you don't know who your state uh, legislator is, then yes, you are going to have an issue with the Electoral College down right. the
0: line. Right. But, we can't.
2: but it's going to be a slow crawl. I mean, you've got to think about the ERA, for example. The ERA still hasn't passed. The Equal Rights Amendment still hasn't passed. So the idea that the next fight is the Electoral College, like that's going to be an equally, as long, an equally long fight um, um, over the next few years, as to what we can and cannot do. I mean, Virginia just ratified the ERA last year, and the ERA fight's been going on right. uh, since the '70s. So that—that's kind of what I'm saying. Is like it's—it takes a long time. People are just so we the social media era has really fucked us all up. Where everything is so instant, and everybody wants like something so it's, it's a change. quickly. It's, it's instant, instant
0: gratification. Constant, yeah. and
2: you're like oh, that's not that's not real life. Right. Like. You know, and and we we just have to condition our friends to say, you can't get it now. This is not how this necessarily works. Just because you vote somebody in office doesn't mean you're going to get Medicare for all in the next four years. Like, that's not how that works. Right. And so, like, but what I could tell you what a change is the culture permeating from state houses, permeating from the White House, uh, permeating from your city hall uh, about how we do things going forward. And those are the things that have to change uh, first.
4: Michael, yeah. I just want to add one thing off of Drexel, which is um, our, our elected officials are not our saviors. We don't, that we can vote, uh, but we got to do the work too. But you know, this notion that um, I'll make change when November hits. No, you start it now. and And part of that is making the time. I think what I see with a lot of white people is they're not making the time. And so, right now, you're not going to restaurants. You're not going to shows. You're not going to concerts. So instead of that, what if you what if you had a book club and you and you read White Fragility this week, and then you talked about it next week? You know, what if you took the time, just as much as you're listening and supporting Black artists passively? Why don't you get to know them, and why don't you get to amplifying them? Right. right. So yeah. there's this idea for me and I know this is a nomenclature issue, but when people talk about allyship, Mm -hmm. being an ally to me is a passive term. I'd rather be an advocate. Yeah. Me is an active word. It means I am participating actively in uplifting people who need that uplift in amplifying people who need that amplification. And so for me, sort of echoing back what I said before about voting, Vote. It's so, so important. But also do the work yourself. Yeah. You don't know the answer if you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know Black authors, or I don't have Black friends. Google's well, then- free. <laughs> Google is free. It's Do free. some research. Yeah. Spend some time. Take that yeah. time away from whatever else you were doing that week, whether it's hours of, you know, video games or going out to clubs and read a book.
0: Yeah, yeah.
4: You know? So speaking I think
0: on- that. Absolutely. But speaking on that, I love the... The difference between ally and advocate, I think it's a very important distinction to make. But why do you think it's so uncomfortable for people to take that step of being active in their allyship? You know, everybody—it's it's easy for people to post on social media. It's easier for people to post a meme or a graphic or say "I stand with you." But when you actually need them to physically stand with you, why fragility. is it so difficult? Because because people fragility. don't leave. Well, fragility. But you you
3: said it, Melinda. Uh, they don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm. And it's like, how do you think it feels for us? Like you want to talk yeah. about discomfort, yeah. you know, uh, with Christian yeah. Cooper and everything. I, I can't even tell you how many times I've had people call police on me. Mm. I can't even tell you, I've lost count. It's been that many, and it's always been something, you know, with, with bombastic language, I'm, I'm always running around somewhere, you know, I, I cosplay. So she's running around with the sword, or I mean I, I can't even take a walk in my own neighborhood without people saying, "Oh, she's doing vi- you know vandalism or mm. something, something made up." So when people see that, when it's their relatives or their friends, or even just someone they don't know, it's like, "Oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to get uncomfortable." Like that is a small, small ask in the grand scheme of things, especially when you're talking about somebody's life yeah. potentially. Yeah, be uncomfortable. Yeah. Right, I think the I think the other part
2: of 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 that uncomfortability is not wanting to be attacked from different angles. We've seen a lot of um, and 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 like I can understand the uh the narrative. Well, you know, black folks are being attacked, right? And like like obviously like like there's nothing worse than that. At least right now, I think a lot of people don't know what to say because they're afraid that one or two words of what they're gonna say. Could trigger something else from happening. Mm. Uh, can trigger a negative reaction, an unintended negative reaction to whatever they're saying. I just read a tweet from a city council member uh, earlier today that I got a call about at 9 a.m. this morning. I'm still asleep. That somebody that literally three words in a tweet changed the whole thing, and 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 and, and I literally was like, "Wow, this person had two two tweets back to back." And three words change the whole meaning, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think people have to realize that, especially in, in, in elected officials, you know, that that their words um, could have consequences, and they just have to be a little bit more careful about what they're saying. But that's probably um, probably another reason why you don't see people um, uh, doing or saying more because they don't want to be perceived as um, as as just not being not doing it right and the amount of calls that i've personally had from my white friends and text messages being like i don't know what to say <laughs> excuse me um it, it tells me that they just need a little bit more guidance on what to say and i, t- I told them the whole time i said you don't have to do anything you don't gotta get out there you don't gotta you know you don't gotta you don't gotta like you know post about your your upbringing and your racist life and and how you turn the tides and nobody wants to read all your 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 short story on any of that like (laughs) we don't got time for that you know and and just you know you know and I always said I said you know I sent out a a two big emails one from the county party and one from uh, a couple other groups that I'm on and I said you know uplift the black leaders voters that are in your area that's all you got to do how about you just retweet We'll just do a little retweeting every once in a while. I know you don't follow that many Black people. I know you don't have that many Black friends. But is now maybe it's time to find some, and and, and start to follow a few people. And um, you know, and to and to Michael's point, like you know, I, I said the other part of that is you 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 know, you you could be a strong ally and not be a savior. And I think so many people want to be the savior. And so my my suggestion is: Why don't you take that savior uh, um, um, urge and put it towards voting, and put it towards getting people to vote? Why don't you savor that? Why don't you save that piece of it? Because <laughs> don't try to save black people. Because we can save. We we look, We've been saving each other for a while. For a
0: long time. For a long time. <laughs> I don't need you to save
2: yes. me. <laughs> right. What we I saved need ourselves. To is save us from what's happening around us right, you know, right. From the, but i from think the, there's something the to
1: that mm-hmm. there's something to the savior complex though you know that that keeps them in a position of um stagnation mm. because from jump white people are taught that they are this savior you know they and we are taught coming into the world how to maneuver around all of the racist mm-hmm. things that we are going to have to right come and back they're born into and the privilege over. yeah absolutely. yeah and so it's like not knowing that they And it's it's not about you being our savior in this. We have to be at the forefront of the change that is going to impact our people. Mm -hmm. We have to hold those positions. And you have to for once sit back and learn. Mm -hmm. Shut up, sit down, Mm -hmm. and take this lesson. Mm -hmm. But that is race-based stress, and that is the core of white fragility. (laughs) Race-based stress is something that we have been navigating our entire lives in the womb, in utero, all the way out through the canal and out out into the world. When they slap your butt, you are already dealing with race-based stress. They are not. And so it's very, very hard. And I can't imagine having never had any of the lessons that I had to all of a sudden be told in my adulthood, you know, that I'm a racist or I'm I'm upholding white supremacist ideologies or any of the other things, you know. I mean, I get chills thinking about how I might react and how that might make me feel like, no, that's when you immediately hear the, but I do have black friends and Mm -hmm. my one black friend, she really loves me, you know, and (laughs) like the excuses that all of a sudden come out to defend themselves because they don't know how to even move forward with that information. Mm -hmm. It's personal to them versus you just sitting down and taking it. And
2: that, and that goes back to the Amy Cooper story. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Amy Cooper was conditioned was to think conditioned that. Conditioned to think that she was not that person, mm-hmm. and then, and then, and then, reality reared its ugly head. And you're put in the situation, and it comes you out. Know? And yeah. you know, I think the other part is just to, just to tell folks: look, there's only one safer. and I can tell you, it's not you. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean.
0: That's it, That's Amber. It. You were going to say something earlier.
5: Um, I have so much. I want <laughs> but... to. Um, But first off, I mean, this is helpful, even for me and I like to, I I will say very openly that I would have liked to consider myself um, an advocate and an ally for some time now suffice to say I feel like I was invited to the barbecue years ago, however. (laughs) I, even in all of that, am, am very much aware that there's so much that even I don't know, and there's uh, so much yet still to learn and and even in even in all of that, if I ever get to a place where I have some level of understanding, um, I'm never going to be black. So at the end of the day, like the bottom line is whatever I am able to understand will never be a full, you know, grasp of what that is like. So gosh, um, I think that there is what I'm noticing, and I'll just speak to my experience recently, um, in, in trying to connect with other people who look like me and figure out what we can do, um, or say, or not do, or say, um, there's a lot of fear, a, a lot of fear-based feelings. Um, I've I've come across a, sort of a split between white people. There are there are those who genuinely, in my opinion, you know, their heart is in the right place. They want to do something. They want to say something. Um, much to Drexel's point, they don't know what to say. Uh, they're afraid of. Uh, you know, teetering the line or saying something, you know, triggerish or, or even saying something that unconsciously they may not realize is, is not correct or accurate. Um, and so oftentimes they fall back into the comfortable position of not saying anything. And then there are those who I would say are on the opposing side that sort of want to stand for, you know, the the all lives matter people. I'll say, <laughs> um, there's then there's that mentality, and that's a totally different thing. Um, and both, from my vantage point, need to be addressed. Um, and and I also want to be clear that something that I have really come to to terms with recently um, is putting the responsibility of that education is is not necessarily always on black people. Um, A lot of times we are the first to run to someone and say, hey, and I am guilty of this. So full transparency, because of my desire of wanting to understand, I'm, I'm a question, they call me the question monster because I will ask like a thousand questions because I am someone who desires like, a in-depth, detailed <laughs> understanding. So I always have a million questions um, and and I'm the one who will come and be like, hey, you know, I said this and, and this person was upset. Did I say it wrong or how, should, how can I do better? And I just feel like the time that we're in now, there's nothing wrong with that, but at the time that we're in now, I feel like it is our responsibility to seek out that information ourselves and, and because of things being so sensitive, I think that that could be a trigger even in itself, just coming to black people and expecting that you are the one to teach me or expecting that it is your responsibility somehow to tell me about your experience of what my people have done to you. Like the evidence is, is there of what my people have done to you. And I don't, I don't need, you know, at any rate, it's, it's, it's a delicate position. I I guess I'm I'm struggling to articulate what I really want to say, because I'm also balancing that with listening to you guys. And, and I'll be honest and transparent about something else. And, I've had to just accept this transparent position, because if I am to be an effective advocate, and I like what you said about that, uh, Mike, I think I'm going to steal it. (laughs) Um, I I desire to be an advocate and not so much an ally. And that is, allyship is is, is a real gray area, and I don't want there to be anything gray about where I stand, so. you know, that being said, I, I um, was listening to what you were saying, uh, Pharrell and Drexel, about the voting process and, and um, all of that. And I tend to, I have tended to in the past sort of leave politics off of my social media and not really get into it too much. It's heavily controversial. And where I grew up, a lot of people voted for Trump. Where I grew up, a lot of people are conservative. They're narrow-minded. One of the main reasons I had to get the heck out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also, I, I desire to educate those folks on where they might be wrong. And I can't fully do that unless I am someone who is also making sure that I'm educated on who my local leaders are. I don't know. And part of the reason why I don't know is not because I don't desire to know is because I've, I fall under what you were saying, Pharrell, about feeling as though it doesn't matter or mm-hmm. it doesn't count or or the ideas about the Electoral College. I will say um, I don't currently feel that way. And I recognize that I feel that that's been sort of a almost a, a privileged potentially ignorant standpoint, it's it's much easier for me to just go, oh, you know, I'm not going to vote because it doesn't matter anyway. And then it doesn't require me to to put the work in and, and seek out the information and the knowledge and then follow through with a vote. Um, there's a lot of energy that goes into that. And if I don't have to expend it, it's much easier for me to sit on the side of, I'm just not going to vote. But the point that we're at, while politics and while this issue, Melinda, like what you were saying, is not political, the solution potentially could be. So, if I am someone who says that I want to be an advocate and I want to be an effective advocate, how can I say that and yet still not be educated on uh, the political aspect of what may contribute to a solution? Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. I, Drexel, if you have, um, and I can seek this out too, so I'm not relying on you for the information just to be clear. <laughs> but I think it would be helpful for other people who have maybe taken that stance in the past who see now that that we do need to kind of make that effort um, and do our due diligence. If there was a place that we could go, and maybe this exists, I don't know, one a one-stop shop website or some sort of resource that we could find all of that information phone numbers emails whatever we need to look for to educate ourselves on those things that would be helpful to know and I would love to also share that information with people who maybe felt like I did
2: yeah I think that, that it depends on where you live like if you're in LA County obviously the LA county Democratic Party website you know has a lot of that information um, on it and we're constantly building um, uh, the information that goes on there um, you know and 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 then it's you know I, I think I think instead of like, for example, like we post a lot about, people post a lot about Donald Trump. Um, if you separate the person from the issue, it's a lot easier for people to, to post about it. Mm. You know, if you're posting in real time about something because it's happening um, in real time and people get turned off, you know, Hillary Clinton, whether or not it was Hillary Clinton, whether or not it was Barack Obama, whether or not it's Nancy Pelosi, anybody, anytime that you bring up a, a controversial name,
0: that's what it they're automatically
2: turns people <laughs> off to what's happening. Right. But the moment that you talk about the issue that's at hand, people respond a little bit easier and a little bit have a, lo- a little bit more comfortable, uh, have a little bit easier time responding to that. I think, you know, if, if you're you, if you're posting and you're the problem with 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 and I and I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, assuming that part of the reason why folks don't who, who come from areas that are predominantly Republican or predominantly Trump uh, areas is because they don't want to have to deal with whatever is coming from back home. You know, they still have family in those areas, and they don't want to feel like they are causing any more trouble than they have. But sometimes you just got to cause trouble. You moved out of there for a reason. Now it's time to cause a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Um, the other part of that that I always tell people uh, is that all politics is personal. You, you just mm-hmm. can't escape it. You know, whether or not this this issue is not political, it is political because it's personal, and and um, you know uh, that's the reality that we live in, mm-hmm. and uh, so. You know, I think that that's another way to kind of get through apathy is to apply it to your personal experience, apply it to your personal life, um, and, and, and find the things that connect you most with what's happening. And then your friends. Each of us have different. You know, Melinda and I talk about AB five here in, in in Los in in California. That's affected so many um, um, uh, independent contractors. Con- independent yeah. contractors. Mm-hmm. That's a personal issue that is mm-hmm. affecting so many people at the state level that has nothing to do with nancy has nothing to do with trump <laughs> that has nothing to do with with adam schiff and and russia and all that stuff is absolutely everything to do with what's happening here in california and to the people here in los angeles and if you know that and you have friends that are affected by that it's easier for you to say that's affecting my friends i don't like it we got to figure out how to do it Mm-hmm. We got to figure out how to make change in that. So, you know, I would always say find the things that that are that that are important to your inner circle. Start there, and then go, and then and then go from there.
0: Yeah, that's sound advice. Absolutely. Before we wrap up, um, I do want to kind of go around individually because I think it's important to say what you guys think is next and what people need to do in order to move forward and move past this. We've seen protests before, you know, Black Lives Matter is not a new movement that's been happening. Police brutality, like we're not, it's not a new thing that's happening. So where do you think that we're going to go from here? And what do you think people need to do next? And what may you even do personally next to move forward? So Michael, I'll just start with you.
4: Oh Lord. Um,
0: (laughs) So I can't
4: get over this video I watched this morning. of a thirty one year old man a thirty one year old black man talking to a forty something black man, mm-hmm. and then a sixteen year old black man comes yep. in yep Powerful. Teenager. yeah it's it 's unreal, and the thing i can 't get over is um, the guy in his thirties saying to the sixteen year old and melinda you know i 've worked with uh, a lot of high school age black men of col- black men and men of color through all Star Code mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> was saying to this 16 year old, find a better way, because this ain't working. Find a better way. And what's so interesting to me about that, especially Melinda, now that you're a new mom, whenever people lately, you know, I'm in my mid 30s, people are like, oh, I can't bring kids into this world, and I say, yeah, but what if they're the generation to change it? Mm-hmm. What if this new generation is the pivot point? Who knows? I'm an optimist, but. I think it's so important to focus on the new generation. I think it's so important to reach young people, mobilize them, get them interested in voting, get them interested in their local government, their local communities, like you're saying, um, um, Drexel. And uh, and I think we have to keep these conversations going. So Melinda, the first thing I'll say is thank you because you have no obligation to do this. None of you have any obligation to talk right now, to answer anyone's questions, Um, and keeping this conversation going and not stopping it, not uh, squashing that flame is to me what will hopefully one day be the turning point. And I think it's gradual. We have made a lot of changes in this country. We always forget we're a new country. We have made a lot of changes pretty quickly. And we want them to be quicker. So we gotta keep going. We gotta keep going. And I think
3: a lot of that is with uh young people. Jill. Um I, I think I think uh this whole thing has created a, a, an overt turning point. Um I call it more of a rebellion at this point after so many, you know, deaths, murders. Um, and frankly, right now it's nice to see. I, I thought the turning point would have been Tamir Rice. 12-year-old boy murdered in broad daylight by cops nothing happened there so the only thing I think right now I feel like I can do and I hear this come up a lot is um is to educate where I can uh I may not be diplomatic about it I don't feel obligated to be diplomatic in my approach but I think it's important to to educate where if, if if you see someone who may be open to listening and a lot of people aren't open to listening, but I will make it, you know, my business to to educate those who are otherwise someone else will be speaking for me. Um, you know, someone who doesn't understand this experience and they may be giving misinformation. So I want to make sure that it's given the right way whenever possible. And while that is an emotional labor, um. It's just you know, it's it's small com- compared to, and a, and a lot of people talk about that. Well, we don't need to undertake this emotional labor. It's not our job to educate you. Um, but when you when you think about the the history of you know civil rights and and the things that our people have gone through, it's relatively small in comparison. Um, I can donate that time when necessary, and I will continue to use my platforms my voice and my writing to to just try and lead people in the right direction if I can. Mm.
1: Great. For all. Um, well I always start with my art. You know, um, that is my gift. That is my talent. And I believe everyone should definitely start where their talents lie. And that is what I want to do with my acting career, my writing career is to continue to create projects and have conversations that are uncomfortable but are necessary so um i also thank you because i am a big fan of um grace lee boggs i don't know if any of you are familiar with her but her work was profound and one of the main components of her work was dialectic conversation and it's so necessary like now more than ever to be having these types of conversations so that that's that's, you know, I'm always wanting to be a part of those things, topics that will always involve race, identity, um, and personal transformation, you know? Because I think that our, our how we speak to the evolution of ourselves is very important in recognizing that where you started is not where you have to end. Mm. And people from all walks of life really looking at themselves where they stand and really doing that man in the mirror thing and saying, okay, where where do I wanna end? Who do I wanna look like five years from now, 10 years from now? So that's big for me. Um, I also am very active in mass liberation projects and I encourage many people to take part in that because I feel that a huge part of our Black population has been and felt the effects of mass incarceration. And so if we can end that and start to decarcerate, then we will be making waves of change for many families and many structures that have been you know, um, completely denigrated. And so Mass Liberation of Nevada, I always tell people to go there, they have a website. It's a great place to gain knowledge and participate. Um, we are able to get people out of jail all over the country and we do that. Um, also, one other thing I was gonna say was um, Layla F. Saad, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correct. She has a book um, about, and a whole program about being a good ancestor academy. And I encourage Mm -hmm. people to do that. Really dive into understanding who you are, no matter what race you are, no matter where you fall. We all have humanity, but we all have responsibilities. And Mm. so learning how to navigate through this very, very tumultuous time is is very important for us to all see each other on the other side of it.
0: Amber.
5: Once again, I'm struggling to articulate uh, the words and I'm really just trying to be a sponge. Um, so I guess I'll start there. Um, if, if this experience, um, and I say this experience, if the most recent events that have happened have shown me anything, it's that um, the best thing that I can do is learn um, the best thing that I can do is be a sponge. The, the best way that I can advocate is to be able to speak, um, from an educated place. And I feel like I said that already, but, um, at this point I've had to, I've had to accept that there may be, like I said before, even things about my own experience and privilege that I was unaware of. I have to get as someone else said, uncomfortable. Um, And I have never uh, been afraid of being uncomfortable. Um, I have quite the personal story, but like in general, I've always sort of ran towards things that were either different from me or somehow scared me because I've found the greatest Um, blessings and joys on the other sides of those so that being said I'm not afraid of the uncomfortability in this at all and I'm also not exempt from it I feel it (laughs) Uh, the conversations are uncomfortable the trying to find the words is uncomfortable trying to to walk that fine fragile touchy line right now of (laughs) being white and not offending, trying to help, what do I do, what do I not do, where do I go? So for me, I, I've just been trying to um, open up conversations and, and which brings me to my my also saying thank you to Melinda for having me on this um, and, and creating another platform for us to keep these conversations going there. I think hugely important to discovering if we don't know what needs to be done or or what we can do. Um, And for me, all I can do moving forward in that is uh, be a representation for, I guess, you know, a side that needs to advocate more. Um, I keep struggling for the words because I just, I have no way to fully express my my desire to affect change. I don't want to be a savior by any means. And I, and I relate to whoever was talking about that mentality as well. Um, I've, I've come across people that sort of are like operating in that way too. And it's like, hold on a second. Like, (laughs) you know, this is not, we're not saviors here. We just want to lend our voice and lend our hand and our support and, and, and take the action steps that are necessary to, to do something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the best thing that I can, I can do moving forward is, is learning and, and where we're here, hopefully in an upward direction. Um, I would be lying to you if I told you there wasn't a part of me that feels like in three weeks, this is gonna blow over and there's a certain amount of people that are going to move on and go back to whatever they were doing before. My intention is to hold myself accountable and not become one of those people.
0: I think I just want to make a point that we see that a lot, and I think that we need to make sure that this situation isn't one of those. And Jexel and I talked about this because he he said the same thing the other day that you know who's going to remember this in a week, what this week was like. And I think we need to continue to just pushing these stories and having these conversations so that people don't let it just die in the news. Um, and Jexel, so we'll end with you.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm listen. I don't think I can I can say a lot. Um... That, that nobody said, I think Pharrell talked a, a lot about the things that uh, that are really important. So I want to make sure that 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 part of that message doesn't get lost because there's a lot of really good information um, and things that people can do. And I know that she's going to do there. Uh, I think to your point, um, you know, we all have a platform to use uh, that we can use. So we just use it um, and, and we um, allow our friends to be a part of that as well. Um, and because then you know it's like a you know like a like like a what are they like the mythology that where the head gets cut off and then then other things grow like the more Medusa the, is it Medusa with the isn't head? it
0: Medusa yeah I don't know
2: one of those <laughs> uh, but but like the the more the um, the more that we have the conversations the 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 bigger our network gets right mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. I always tell people you know speak up you know just have those conversations um, use your platforms and, and certainly don't do it when it's in the news. Um, because obviously silence uh, certainly has cost a lot of lives. Um, I think you reaching out to your black friends, like I said, if you have them. Um, some folks don't. And if You they're, don't they're, go get <laughs> get some might, get some. Might. Look, I don't Park know what to problem. tell you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and look, look, uh, and it's true. It might be a product of, of how you grew up, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you got no black friends. That's you know whatever. Uh, you know, and take take those cues from those local and Black, you know, those local and, and national Black leaders. You know, if, they're, if 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 folks are out there saying, you know, this is what we think you should be doing, take that for face value, take that for what it is, and just do that. Like, don't try to come up with your own version of that. You'd be like, oh, that, that's what I'm going to do, and then do it. Uh, I think the other part of, of what we need to be doing, uh, and certainly uh, I need to be doing more and everybody can do, is, you know, supporting those local Black businesses. I keep a list. Of, of black businesses here in in in, in LA, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I used to work at Macy's, I would always want to make sure that I worked uh, primarily with black businesses uh, to kind of give them an opportunity to work with a company, uh, a national company like Macy's. So, and and now mm-hmm. um, I'm in that position um, of, of, of overseeing uh, an organization uh, that has a huge reach um, here in LA County. And the, other, the last the, other, the last thing is I think is just holding. You know, once you figure out who your elected official is. It's holding them accountable yes. for the things that matter to you. Yes. And, um, and, and, and having those conversations, because everybody has a district office. That means it's close enough to you to where you can literally go and go visit them and say, hey, we got this going, or calling them off and different things like that. Um, holding them accountable for their words, for their votes, for their actions, uh, because that's going to help move them along when they're up for reelection. Um, you know, a lot of people, and I talk about this, this is my biggest sticking point. Uh, when it comes to uh, local politics, uh, particularly at the level of of racism and and police brutality, which is who has the biggest stronghold over politicians, the police union. And if anybody, if you, I said this to somebody earlier. I said the Horcrux, if you're a Harry Potter fan, of <laughs> the uh, of what's happening across uh, police forces in America is the stranglehold that police unions have over politicians
3: Mm. and
2: because the police union and and police forces, I'm sorry, the police forces and those a part of it will always fall back and say, I will always be protected. You break the police union up, you break the police unions up, or at least their stranglehold over what's happening, you might see some movement and some change. And that's going to start where, where you start to elect politicians or you start to run for yourself and say, I am not going to be bought into whatever the police union uh, is, is throwing my way. And, uh, and then, of course, voting in November is also equally as important, too. So, um, so yeah, so those are just my, but everything that Pharrell said. That's what that you Hill said. <laughs> said that everybody said that is going to be super important uh, to, that. To, to that, so.
0: I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for donating your voices and your time to this conversation. I appreciate and value all of you and all the work that you're doing to invoke change. So please just continue to have people have these conversations and uh, keep fighting the good fight. And thank you to those of you that were tuning in and listening. Make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, and we'll talk again soon. Bye.